0: I was just thinking about that song we just sang in light of just everything that the Childers and the Bryans are going through and made me think about Psalm 46. Like, God is our refuge and strength, the very present help in trouble. Though, therefore, we will not fear that the, though the earth should change and though the mountains slip into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains quake at its swelling pride. God, and then he goes on later, God is in the midst of his people. She will not be moved like the, we can we can trust in the Lord, we can trust in his goodness to us because of what he's secured in Jesus Christ, and that's what we 're going to look at this morning. Um, if you're just joining with us, you know my my name's Steve and again, and um everett's not here with me sadly, but um he's my grandson, so uh, in case you're wondering but um uh, we're in John chapter 8 this morning. And if, uh, if, you, if you haven't been with us in our study of John, like um, two weeks ago, we were in John chapter 7. And in John chapter 7, um, it talks about how Jesus went up to the Feast of Tabernacles or the Feast of Tents or the Feast of Shacks, however you want to view it. Um, and it was a celebration that, that God had instituted for his people, where everybody would come up to Jerusalem. Everybody would live in these temporary dwellings. Sometimes they were tents. Sometimes they were just like lean-to's made out of sticks or whatever. And it was a time for them to camp out and remember like God's faithfulness to them um, as they were led out of slavery in Egypt. Through the Red Sea, and then as, his faithfulness to them as they wandered the wilderness on their way to their like homeland. And you know, it's this—it was this great time of celebration. It was the most popular of all of the, all of the pilgrimage feasts, the feast that they would go up to, and there was. There was two big ceremonies that they did during this Feast of Tabernacles. And we talked about one of them two weeks ago. It was the feast. I mean, it was the ceremony of the outpouring of the water where they would, the priests would go down to the pool of Siloam. They would scoop up a bowl of water. They would take it up into the temple and they would add it to the libation offerings, the offerings that were poured out on the sacrifices. Um, And it was this time for the people to remember that in the wilderness, God like met their thirst and provided water for them. And it was in the context of that feast that Jesus made this declaration in John chapter 7. He says, now on the last day, the great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried out, saying, if anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. It's an amazing, like, it's an amazing claim from Jesus. If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture said, from his innermost being will flow rivers of living water but this he spoke of the spirit from those whom those who believed in him were to receive for the spirit was not yet given because Jesus was not yet glorified what Jesus is saying in the context of this feast is that like as you as you navigate this world and as you encounter the thirst that this world inevitably brings upon you whether it's from death or sickness or just the unsatisfying like lure and temptation of all that the world has to promise us but never delivers on. Whenever you're thirsty, Jesus is saying, whoever like comes to Jesus, whoever believes in him, he says like the spirit of God will be like within you and that spirit of God will be this ever replenishing stream that you can always go to and drink. He declared that in John chapter seven. He's going to do a similar thing um, as we get into John chapter eight, about the other about the other um, ceremony that they had in the Feast of Tabernacles. But I think this is a really important text for us, because, like all of us are thirsty, and yet, I think when we like hear these claims of Jesus, we often kind of forget like who Jesus really is. And what Jesus is going to be doing as he goes through John chapter eight is he's going to be kind of like upping the ante and we're going to see this like reach its culmination like next week as, as we finish John chapter eight, but he's going to keep upping the ante and kind of forcing people to come to grips with who he is. And, he, and as he does that, like people are going to be dividing Some people are going to believe in him, and some people are going to reject him. But what he doesn't kind of allow in his conversations is this middle ground. You know, I think it's important for us because I think a lot of us want to come to Jesus, and we come to Jesus on our own terms. We come to Jesus, like, wanting to have our preferences met. We come to Jesus expecting him to meet all of our expectations. And it's really all about us and not about him. And the, the reality is this, is that the life that Jesus like, provides for us doesn't come to us on our terms, it comes to us on his terms. Because he is like God himself. It, it's what Trevin Wax said. Trevin Wax, in his book, The Thrill of Orthodoxy, says this. He says, the New Testament doesn't portray the gospel. The gospel is this message of who Jesus is and what he has done for us. In terms of personal preference, the gospel is about events. World-shattering historical happenings that require a reckoning and lead to a point of decision. What will you do with Jesus? That's what Jesus is leading up to, and it's going to reach its culmination as we get into the end. But there's always this question: What are you going to do with Jesus? And we need to answer that question every single day. If you're if you've never come to faith in Jesus, you need to like ultimately answer that question: What are you going to do with Jesus? But each of us needs to do, answer that question. Like, are we going to trust him? Are we going to follow him? Are we going to believe in him? Are we going to accept what, what he says is true or what everything else around us says is true? You know, what are we going to do with Jesus? You know, as we get into 12 through 30 this morning, it's going to break out into two sections. Jesus is going to make this claim in, in the first part of that, verses 12 through 20, that he is the light of the world, Jesus is the light. And then in the second section, he's going to declare that Jesus is the one. He's going to declare that he is the one. And we'll talk about the one what in a moment when we get there. But please stand with me as I read verses 12 through 20 together. um, And then I'll pray and then we'll get into our text. This is God's word for his church. Um, John chapter 8, starting at verse 12. Again, therefore, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. The Pharisees therefore said to him, you are bearing witness of yourself. Your witness is not true. Jesus answered and said to them, even if I bear witness of myself, my witness is true. For I know where I came from and I know where I'm going, but you do not know where I come from or where I'm going. You people judge according to the flesh. I am not judging anyone. But even if I do judge, my judgment is true, for I am not alone in it, but I and he who sent me. Even in your your law, it has been written that the testimony of two men is true. I am he who bears witness of myself, and the father who sent me bears witness of me. And they were saying to him, where is your father? And Jesus answered, you know neither me nor my father. If you knew me, you would know my father also. These words he spoke in the treasury as he taught in the temple, and no one seized him because his hour had not yet come. Let's pray. Father, I just thank you for your word. I thank you for your spirit that empowers us to speak it, that empowers us to understand it, that opens our hearts and opens our minds. And I would just ask that your spirit would preside this morning so that we could see the light of Jesus Christ and what he's accomplished for us and that we would have a deeper confidence and trust and faith in him because of the time we spend here this morning. Pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, John, uh, as he as we get into this first section down in verse 20, John gives us an interesting detail um, that John makes a point to locate Jesus' teaching in the temple, and he says that Jesus was teaching in the treasury, and the treasury like was uh, this is kind of a funny thing like the temple was divided into these different areas, and the area that kind of that was the that was still within the the temple walls, but was that had that people had the most access to was called the court of the women. I think we have. A picture of the temple up here. So the women's court there in the front area. It's about it's about the half the size of a soccer field. It's like sixty-five yards square. That that court of the woman area, and it was an area where all men, all women could go in. It was this mixed-gender place where people could go and engage in the worship of the Lord. And it's and it's there that the that the the Jews established the treasury. They had these thirteen boxes with like these. Copper trumpets that you could put coins in that would go to different areas of upkeep of the temple, and it was in this woman's court. And, and um, so it's, it could be called the women's court, it could be called the, the treasury, but it's that area that we see there. And the reason why that's significant is because in the Feast of Tabernacles, um, the, in addition to the water ceremony, there was this ceremony called the illumination ceremony. And the illumination ceremony involved what happened in that court in that women's court and it and in the in the court there was these four giant like uh torches they were kind of like created like candelabras and you can see the artist kind of rendered them there they're seventy five feet tall, and on top of these seventy five foot tall like uh, columns there was these there was multiple bowls, some people say there was four bowls, some people say it was seven bowls i don 't know how many bowls it was, but they each held like sixty five liters, which is like seventeen gallons of oil and um, in the evenings during this festival. Um, they would climb up on, on ladders that were built into those columns, and they would light those torches on fire, and all around this women's court would be illumined by these giant torches. And in fact, it was so bright, and this is probably hyperbole, but you know how ancient historians are. Actually, probably all historians and, and news people. Um... They said that there was not a single courtyard in all of Jerusalem that was not lit by, like, these torches. Like, you would see this giant light coming up out of the temple as they would look up on the temple mound. And and this light from these torches would, I'll just say, light much of Jerusalem. The reason why this is important is those torches symbolized in this Feast of Tabernacles, it symbolized the pillar of fire and the pillar of cloud that guided the people through the desert. It was, this, it was the, the pillar of fire and the pill, it was cloud by day and fire by night or smoke, depending on how you interpret it, by day and fire by night. And that column of fire represented the, the glory and the presence of God. When, when the Egyptians were coming to, to kill the Israelites or recapture the Israelites anyway, um, as they were standing by the Red Sea, it says the pillar of fire went be- behind them and the Lord looked down upon the Egyptians from there. And on one side it was fire. And on one side, it was darkness. And he kept the Egyptians at bay as as the Lord looked down upon them from this fire. And it's here, underneath the shadow of those torches, where Jesus says, I am the light of the world. He who follows me will not walk in darkness, but have the light of life like an amazing and bold like claim. If you think about that, what Jesus is saying is, I am the one who represents the, the presence of God. I am the one who represents the, the glory of God. I am the one that can lead people back to their like promised home. And if you believe and follow me, You won't walk in darkness, but you will have the light of life. I just want to say, like, there are so many, like, patronizing and condescending views about Jesus that exist today. Like, we kind of make Jesus into whoever we want him to be for whatever purposes we want him to be. You know, you probably heard, like, some people just think about, oh, Jesus is a good moral guy. He's a good example for us. He's a good teacher. No, You know, C.S. Lewis talked about this, and I won't quote him this morning, but Jesus just claimed to be the light for the entire world by equating himself with the pillar of fire in the desert. He claimed to be like the presence of God himself. There's no middle ground here. Jesus is forcing the issue with people. He is the light of the world, and whoever follows him will not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. You know, in this text, you have like light and life woven together. And Jesus is saying is like, it's in knowing and following and seeing me that, that you'll have life. And in fact, he's declaring exactly what John opened the book of, of uh, this book with in John chapter 1, verse 4, talking about Jesus. It says, in him was life and the life was the light of men. What John's telling us is that, and what Jesus is telling us is that Jesus is the one that is going to restore your life to what it should be. So, what Eric said. He's making all things new. He, Jesus says that you're not going to walk in darkness. This world like, has us in darkness, and if you want to like, know how to like, navigate this life, it's only going to be found in following and knowing Jesus. He is the light of men. But it is a, if it's not true, and it is, but it's a pretty bold statement, right? And so the Pharisees, verse 13, the Pharisees therefore said to them, you are bearing witness of yourself. Your witness is not true. Basically, they're saying, you know what? Talk is cheap, Jesus. Anybody can claim anything about themselves. So if you're just going to claim that you're like God himself, like in this column of fire and you're the light for the entire world, Like, anybody can say it. Your testimony is not true. They just dismiss Jesus out of hand. You know, Jesus' response to them is kind of funny. Look what he says. Uh, Verse 14. Jesus answered and said to them, even if I bear witness of myself, my witness is true. He's like, it doesn't matter how many witnesses I have. He says, even if I'm the only one talking, I'm right. And then... It's not even the funny part, but I'm glad you're laughing. And then he gives the reason. He says, for I know where I've come from, and I know where I'm going, but you don't know where I've come from or where I'm going. What he's saying is like, I'm pretty sure of who I am. I am the one that's come down from heaven, God himself, And I'm going to be returning to heaven and back into my father's presence. And I am the, uh, as the one who has come down from heaven, I'm the creator of all things. I know all things. I declare all things. I'm pretty sure I'm right about this. (laughs) And you guys, you guys don't know anything. You know, as he goes through this text, in in this first section here, he's going to be contrasting himself with with the Jews. And as he does, he's going to be teaching us something about who he is as the light. As the one that has come down from heaven and whose testimony is true, he says there. Like, as the light, Jesus is the one who enlightens his testimony is true. If you want to know like where to find the truth in this age where we're saturated by information, where we're bombarded by different worldviews, where, where you're getting all sorts of like pressure upon you to believe and do and say certain things. If you want to know like the truth, Jesus declares here, you can trust that his testimony is true because he's the one that's come down from heaven. He's the one that brings enlightenment. In fact, John said that um, in John chapter 1 again, verses 9 and 10, there was the true light, talking about Jesus, which coming into the world enlightens every man. He was in the world and the world was made through him and the world did not know him. Think about that for a second. Jesus is the light of the world. He comes into the world. He brings enlightenment to all. And yet the world doesn't see him or know him. And this world system around us is constantly working to, like, blind you to the truth. And what Jesus is saying is, like, no, I'm the light of the world. I am the one that brings enlightenment. And if you want to know how to navigate this life, if you want to know how to deal with those circumstances in your life, if you want to know like, what God wants you to do like in, in, the, in your relationship with your spouse and with your classmates at school, with your conflict with your friend, with your... There's a lot of information out there. But unless you focus on Jesus as the one who brings enlightenment, you're likely going to be blinded to the truth. You know, and I'm not saying, like, you can just go to the Bible, look up, like, oh, how do I deal with conflict with my friend? And like, oh, verse such and such, and it says do this, you know, I kind of wish sometimes the Bible's that way. Like, it's a little flow chart. Is this true? Yes, no. And you go here, and <laughs> yes, no. I think the Lord's too good for it, to us for that, because then we just get dependent upon us and our systems. You know, what, what, what I'm talking about here and what we need to know is that if we're going to navigate this world, it doesn't come from from viewing Jesus as a resource. It comes from following Jesus is what he says. He who follows me will not walk in darkness but have the light of life. Like it means that we need to be coming to Jesus all the time. We need to be letting his light shine upon us. We need to be letting him change us and shape us and letting his word shape our hearts and shape our perspective. Otherwise, there's, there's no hope that to do it, we need to surround ourselves by people who, who, when we can't see clearly, will speak truth into our heart and into our mind. That's why we need the church. Why we need each other, because it's it's only as like we focus on Jesus amidst all of the distractions of this age that we can discover that His testimony is true, and that His testimony and following Him is what leads us to life. And as we're shaped into like Christ-like people, we can, we'll, we'll be able to respond better in all of those situations that I talked about. It's only in following him that we have the light of life. So Jesus is the one who enlightens, but he also talks about something else. If you look at verse, verse 15, you people judge according to the flesh. I'm not judging any, anyone. But even if I do judge, my judgment is true. He said his testimony is true. Now he's saying his judgment is true because he doesn't judge according to the flesh. Like all of us at best, our, our eyes are blinded because we can only kind of see the externals. We can't see people's hearts. We don't know all things like Jesus does. But Jesus says, you know what? My testimony is true and my judgment is true. Like he is the one that will judge perfectly. Perfectly. This kind of brings us to the second thing we discover about the light is the light not only enlightens, but the light exposes. It exposes us. Like, listen to what Jesus says in John chapter 3. He's talking to a religious leader and, of the Jews, and he says this. This is the judgment that the light has come into the world. And men loved the darkness rather than the light, for their deeds were evil. This is the judgment that the light is coming into the world. Jesus comes into the world. His light comes upon all things. The, scary, the sad thing about light is that, is that it reveals things for what they really are. Like, I'm dark and handsome. When it's dark, I'm handsome, but you turn on the lights, things are different, right? That wasn't in my notes. That one just slipped in. Sorry. Thank you. That was one person, so... <laughs> the light exposes and it says, men love the darkness rather than the light for their deeds are evil. I want you to pay attention to that word love. It's not like men hate the darkness and just are kind of stuck there. They love the darkness. It appeals to their affections, their hearts. They sing songs about it. They talk to other people about it. They celebrate it. They love it. And then the light of Christ comes and what he declares to be true is true and what he declares to be false is false and he shines it on there and exposes it and people's natural response is to what? Like continue to cower in the darkness because they love the darkness. God's word exposes us and Christ himself exposes us by revealing who we really are. Here's the kicker. If we're going to follow Jesus... We don't. We have, we have to believe not only that he's the one that enlightens us, but that he's the, he's the one that exposes us, and that when we're exposed, that we can come to him, and we are going to be met with like grace and forgiveness and mercy. If not, we should just cower in the darkness and hide out as long as we can, right? But the beauty of the gospel, and we're going to see this in a little bit, is that, and the beauty of who Jesus Christ is, is that with the Lord there is like forgiveness, there is mercy, there is grace, and that's what Jesus came to secure for us. And we can come to the light because because we will be met with that grace and that mercy and that forgiveness and that love. But as long as we like continue to cower in the darkness, it's going to like keep us from following like Jesus, like we should. He's the one that enlightens. He's the one that exposes. But then he's also the one that explains. Look down in verse, verses 17 and 18. He, he kind of pokes fun at the, at the Pharisees here. He says in verse 17, he says, even in your law, it has been written that the testimony of two men is true. He's referring to the Old Testament law that the Pharisees like took such pride in. And in fact, it's not the, it's not the Jews' law or the Old Testament law. It's Jesus' law. He's the one that wrote it. And yet he calls it your law. He's like, even by the rules that you guys think you follow, you should be listening to me. Because I do have two witnesses, me and my father, is what he says. And the, and the, and the Jews are like, well, then bring your father forward. Call, we call him as a witness. And Jesus replies to them, you know neither me nor my father. If you know me, you would know my father also. What Jesus is saying is like the unity between he and the father is so great that we understand who God is, who the father is most clearly by knowing Jesus. In fact, that's, John also said that at the beginning of the book of John in verses 17 and 18 of chapter 1. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth were revealed through Jesus Christ. No one has seen God at any time. The only begotten God who is in the bosom of the Father, he has explained him. Like if you want to know what God is like, look at the person of Jesus and he's going to be characterized by grace and by truth. Like we can come to follow him and we can follow him because he is the one who who responds to those who come in humility and trust with grace, even as the truth reveals like all of our like, failures. In fact, earlier, I think it's in verse 15, I don't have it on the screen, but it talks about how Jesus revealed the glory of the Father, full of grace and truth. We see God's glory in the grace that's manifested in Jesus. The ultimate manifestation of that grace is hinted to us in verse 20 where it talks about his hour had not yet come. like He's making such bold claims that there was this desire to seize him, but it says that no one seized him because his hour had not yet come. It's the hour of his crucifixion where he's going to die on the cross for us, and we'll look at that in a minute. But God's plan for the redemption of humanity is going off just perfectly. Jesus is submitting himself to the timing of it all, and he's, he's declaring who he is and, he, and people are dividing over him. And that's the reality for us. If we're going to be followers of Jesus, we need to be those who, who truly believe that he's the one that brings enlightenment. We trust his word. It's the only thing that's going to like anchor us amidst all of the turmoil of our age. We need to be those who, who know that as we're exposed that we can come to Jesus and, ex- and experience grace and forgiveness and mercy. And we need to know that like, it's, it's in knowing Jesus that we know the Father. Like Some generic view of God isn't going to save you. It's knowing Jesus and relying upon Jesus that will bring salvation and bring life that he promises. You know, as we move on to the second point, verses 21 through 30, like Jesus declares that he is the one. I'll, 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 read, I'll start reading it. He says in verse 21, He said therefore again to them, I go away and you shall seek me and, and shall die in your sin. Where I am going, you cannot come. Therefore, the Jews were saying, surely he will not kill himself, will he? Since he says where I am going, you cannot come. And he was saying to them, you are from below. I am from above. You are of this world. I am not of this world. I said, therefore, to you that you shall die in your sins. For unless you believe that I am he, you shall die in your sins." <laughs> Jesus starts off like right out of the gates after declaring who he is as the light of the world and he gives them this stern warning and he says, he says, I'm going to be leaving. Jesus knows that this hour of his departure that, that is ultimately going to take him to the cross um, and then ultimately have him return to the presence of the father. He knows that that hour is coming and he says, I'm going to leave and you're going to be looking for me and you're going to die in your sin a serious warning. What he's saying is like, you know, by your rejection of me, I am the, I'm the light of the world. I'm the one who, who people can come to and all their thirst will be quenched. And I'm going to be leaving and, and you're going to look for the Messiah after that. You're going to look for your hope. You're going to look for stuff to satisfy you and enlighten you. And you are never going to find it. And you're going to die in your sin. He's speaking about like you're going to live your life and at the end of it, you're going, to, you're going to die and you're going to enter into the judgment that your sin like demands of you. He goes on. He, he actually repeats that same idea three times. The Jews, verse 22, were saying, surely he will not kill himself, will he, since he says where I am going, you cannot come. Verse 22 is filled with so much irony and the first thing is, Jesus had just told them, you're going to die. And then they're like, oh, is he talking about himself dying? Like they completely missed the whole point, right? He's talking about their death, and now they're talking about his death. But ironically, Jesus was, was talking about his own death. But it wasn't a death where he was going to kill himself. It was a death where out of love he was going to lay himself down for the life of this world. And then Jesus goes on. You know, one more thing about verse 22 before I go on. Like, it's funny nobody talked to Jesus in verse 22. They weren't like, "Hey, Jesus, what do you mean by where you going?" You know, that sort of thing. They all start talking to each other. Like, typically when all that you do is talk to each other and never like like go to Jesus, that's a bad idea. Just want to go on record with that. Okay, so little bonus point, bonus thing for you this morning. Verse 23. Jesus responds, you are from below, I am from above. And then he defines that. You are of this world, I am not of this world. I said therefore to you that you shall die in your sins. For unless you believe that I am he, you shall die in your sins. I want to point out a couple things about that. First of all, he starts talking about their identity as opposed to his identity. He says, I am from above. He's reminding them again, like of his claim to be God himself. You are from this earth or you are of this earth. What he's saying is, he's, as you look at this idea of the world in, in John, what he's saying is that this world has fallen under the power of the evil one. It is corrupted by sin. It is, it is like under God's like judgment. It's under the curse. And you are of it, Jesus says. Like you're part of that whole evil world system that rejects God and rejects the light that he sent into the world. And you will die in your Sins, plural. It's interesting. Earlier, it was sin singular, and now it's sins plural. Uh, that's in verse um, 21, it's, it's sins singular, and in verse 24, it's sins plural. And But right in the middle of these two statements, if you look in verse 24, I said therefore to you that you shall die in your sins, plural, for unless you believe that I am he, you shall die in your sins. What Jesus is saying is like, yeah, there is this singular sin up in verse 22 that he wants to, that's going to bring judgment upon them. And he defines it for us right in the middle. He says, you're going to die in your sins, plural. You're going to sit under the judgment of every single thing that you've done that is contrary to the the revealed will of God and his word, that's contrary to the, the knowledge of God, that's contrary to those things that you knew that God wanted you to do, but you didn't do. You will die under the condemnation of all of that accumulation as being of this world, unless you believe that I am he. So the singular sin that he's talking about up in verse 22 is that it's the sin of unbelief. If you don't believe that Jesus is he, you will die in your sins. The one sin that's going to bring condemnation upon you is is failing to believe that he is he. He's the one. But the question is, is like, well, what does he mean when he says, I am he? He's who, right? If you're you're one of the people listening to it, it's like, oh, that's an important detail we should probably get dialed in if, if it's going to keep us from dying in our sins. And that's what they ask him, verse 25. And so they were saying to him, who are you? Jesus just said, I'm the one. I'm the one that's going to save you from dying in your sins if you believe that I am he. And they say, who are you? It's interesting. It's a really cool text, actually. And it, and it reaches its culmination. Um, it reaches its culmination in... Um, at the end, at the very end of the chapter, where Jesus really makes it clear who he is, and I'm not going to give the spoiler to this morning. You'll have to come back next week. But Jesus purposely leaves it ambiguous. I am he. And they're like, who? If you don't believe that I am he, you're going to die in your sins. I'll give you a little hint. That could just be translated, unless you believe that I am, you will die in your sins. But look what Jesus does. Instead of answering all the questions, look at, he tells them some things about himself. First thing I want to point out, verse 29. Look what he says in verse 29. He who sent me is with me. It's the Father. He has not left me alone, for I always do the things that are pleasing to him. In verse 29, Jesus says, like, I am the one who completely satisfies the Father. And because of that, we have this intimate relationship where he never leaves me alone. Verse 29. Up in verse 25, look what he says. And so they were saying to him, who are you? And Jesus said to him, what have I been saying to you from the beginning? He's like, I've been telling you this all along, people. I have many things to speak and to judge concerning you, but he who sent me is true, and the things which I speak I heard from him, and these I speak to the world. What he's saying is like, yeah, I am the one who brings enlightenment. I'm the one who has many things to speak. I'm the one that exposes. I, I have many things to judge concerning you. But I've been telling you this all along, and I'm just telling you what the Father's told me to tell you. Verse 27, they did not realize that he had been speaking to them about the Father. Jesus therefore said, now listen, this is what he f- puts their attention on. And I, I don't want us to miss this. Jesus therefore said, when you lift up the Son of Man then you will know that I am he. He's like, if if you want to know who I really am, there's one thing that you need to focus on. He says, when you lift up the son of man, then you will know that I am. What Jesus is talking about there, the Jews probably thought he was talking about when you praise him, the way you should be praised, that idea of being lifted up could be viewed that way. It's not what Jesus is talking about. He's talking about his crucifixion. When you lift me up from the earth and impale me on the the cross and I hang there like silhouetted against the sky and you see that, then you will know who I am. Then. Out of everything, you can strip everything else away. The one thing you need to know that explains it all is that moment when I die on the cross. The moment where this intimate relationship that he had with the Father, what did he experience on the cross? Like, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The son who always was with the Father, who was always pleasing to the Father, suddenly has the sin of of all of humanity for all time poured out on him and he feels God's disfavor and judgment and is forsaken. That moment... When he's lifted up on the cross and he breathes his last and he gives up his spirit and darkness falls over the land, when the light of the world is snuffed out by the hatred and animosity of men who couldn't stand the light, then you will know that he is he. He's the one that's come to restore humanity. He's the one that's come to bear our sin. He's the one that's come to fulfill all of the promises to us. He's the one. You know, that's why we moved communion to the end of the service this morning. Yehuda, why don't you come up and bring the band up? Because the, what we do every single month when we participate in the Lord's Supper, Jesus says, right, like, Whenever you drink this bread, drink this, eat this bread and drink this cup, you will proclaim, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes, right? We do this in remembrance of him. We are to remember that moment when the light of this world was snuffed out by our hatred and by our like, unwillingness to come to the light. So I think like the question, the question that this moment, like, like demands of us, it's what we started like, what are you going to do with Jesus? Do you believe that he is the one? You know, there's a really clear, like I said, um, at the end of chapter eight. There's a really clear reference back to an Old Testament passage that I'm sure you'll look at next week um, as you study this, but. There's one stop along the way that takes us back there from the prophet Isaiah, where the prophet Isaiah talked about Jesus and Isaiah chapter 43. Listen to what he says. I, even I, am the Lord, and there is no what? Savior besides me. Jesus is the only one who can rescue you from this world and the darkness that has fallen over it. There is no Savior besides him. Even I am he, Jesus is saying, verse 43, or verse 11, uh, down in verse 13, Isaiah 43, 13, even from eternity, I am he. And there is none who can deliver out of my hand. I act and who can reverse it. And he is the one that has all power and all authority and no one can deliver out of his hand. He is the one that is going to bring judgment upon this world. And He acts, and no one can turn him back. He's he. Isaiah 43, 25. I, even I, am the one who wipes out your transgressions for my own sake, and I will not remember your sin. I am he, Jesus is saying, the one who wipes out your transgressions and forgets all of your sins who allows you to walk in the light of life without fear of condemnation because he bore it all upon himself. You know, so as we, as we move to take communion, I just want to ask you to, do, to, to, to ask a couple questions. Like what Jesus says here is, when I am lifted up, then you will know that I am he. Like what does this moment that we remember this morning like reveal to you about the circumstances you're in? You just look at whatever like the the darkest like thing in your heart that you're struggling with, the worst circumstance you're struggling with, like what does the moment of Jesus being lifted up on the cross and dying in your place reveal to us about him? What does it reveal to you about like the extent to which he will go to make sure his grace and mercy can be available to you? What does it say about his character and his commitment to you? He's He. He's the one that wipes out your transgressions. He's the one that doesn't remember your sin. He's the one that like brings light and life and enlightenment and reveals the Father to us. So I, I just want to challenge you to like dwell on that, answer that question of what that moment of Christ's death for you teaches you, and then come up and as, as you hear us playing this song and as we're singing together, come up and get a cup and and get the, the bread and then um, we'll, we'll partake together in, in just a moment.